this is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app or join our emailing list at coldwarconversations.com. Hello and welcome to this episode of Cold War Conversations. I'm delighted to welcome award-winning author David Young, who has written the Stasi child Karin Muller series of crime thrillers set in East Germany in the mid-1970s. Shortlist's review of Stasi child reads, Can't get enough of Cold War Germany after Deutschland 83. This is your latest reading companion. There will be links to all of the books in the show notes at coldwarconversations.com and I'm delighted to say I've read and enjoyed them all. We welcome David Young. Hello, David. Hello, Ian. Thanks very much for inviting me on. Well, no, no, it's it's great to have you on. How how are you today? Yeah, I'm doing well. I had a uh, a book event in East Grinstead uh, yesterday evening, which I took my um, Wartburg police car along to, and unfortunately, it broke down on the way. So that was uh, that was a bit of a disaster. But... Oh dear. Well, more about your Wartburg police car later. Keep the listeners okay. intrigued, David. You know. Yes. <laughs> no. So can you um, just tell us about yourself and, and how you uh, became an author? Yes, certainly. Um, yes. Yeah, so I write um, a crime fiction series um, set in East Germany in the mid 1970s. Uh, it started with Stasi Child. Uh, and then the second book was Stasi Wolf. And then uh, more recently, at the start of this year, the third book, A Darker State. Um, I've been a, or I was a journalist for more than 25 years with the BBC. And then before that, uh, working in local newspapers. Um, but I've had enough of the BBC and the BBC has had enough of me. Uh, and um, I decided to try and uh, find a second career and to be honest journalists don't have that many transferable skills um, I suppose unless you work in financial journalism and you know how to play the stock market um, so I thought as many journalists do uh, I tried to write a novel now I first did this about 15 years ago I suppose uh, when I read, wrote, read, I wrote a crime thriller set on the Isle of Wight um, which didn't do I couldn't get a publisher so I self-published it um, but I thought this time I would do it more seriously so I, I signed up for a, uh, a crime fiction MA uh, at that time it was the only crime fiction MA in the country this was 2012 at City University in London um, so I was doing that initially while I was working at the BBC. Um, and then, uh, I suppose about a year in, um, I realised that if I took redundancy from the BBC, I could sort of eke out my redundancy until my old age pension. And even if I didn't get a book deal, I'd probably be happier out of the BBC and, and, and trying to get a book deal. But luckily, I did get a book deal. So uh, all, all went swimmingly. Good, and that's what we're here to talk to you about. So uh, yeah. now, the the Stasi Child series is it called 
the Stasi Child series or is it the Karen Muller series? I, I think officially it's the Karen Muller series, yes. Um, Stasi Child was the first book that did quite well, so I think some people do call it the Stasi Child series, but um, the publishers actually decided for this latest one, uh, I think it's a bit of an experiment to drop the word Stasi or Stasi uh, from the title. Um, but yes, Karen Muller series, and Karen Muller is the main character. Um, she's a uh, the head of a murder squad, so she works for the Volkspolizei, the People's Police in East Germany in the mid 1970s, and she's the only female head and also the youngest head of a murder squad. Right. Okay. And and we're, we'll talk a little bit more about the, the, the main characters, as I, as I would describe them, in, in a moment. Why did you choose East Germany as a location for uh, a, your crime novel? And, and why did you choose crime specifically? Well, crime, probably because you tend to write what what you enjoy reading i mean i'm not a i'm not a massive crime fiction addict and i do read other books um but i suppose you know it was, it was, I'd, I'd like child 44 and books like that and um so i wanted to try something like that but then give it a different spin that was one idea but the actual the actual inspiration came um I would say it's about 10 years ago now uh, again as a result of being fed up with the day job in the evenings I was uh, letting off steam playing in a, a little indie pop band and we managed to blag our way onto a tour a, a one-week tour of Germany and most of the places that booked us were in the east of Germany and it really made a, a big impression on me um, how much of east Germany you could still see and so then when I was on the crime fiction MA, um, you know, a few years later, mm -hmm. we were sort of experimenting with different starts of different novels. And um, Stasi Child actually started out as an experiment, uh, just an opening chapter to illustrate setting. And, and the idea came from uh, that little tour by my band. And when, when was this? How, how long since... Uh, that's, that's about, I think it's about 10 years now so 2008 right. it was it was actually um I managed to I wrote a tribute song to Edwin Collins and he rather liked it and gave me a quote about my song and that helped us get secure the tour <laughs> so so uh the, these places in uh, East Germany didn't really know what what they were booking <laughs> They didn't know what they were booking at all. No, uh, I mean, I'd, I'd, um, it, it was a conversation I'd had at a party with somebody who was in a, a, a ska band, not a very well-known ska band, and he said, oh, places in Germany just love booking British bands. You know, they just love saying you're over from London. You ought to give it a go. So I did give it a go. And um, we, we managed to get um, what was then quite a trendy club, the Bang Bang Club in Mitte, which was underneath um, Hackischer Markt Station, oh, which okay. in East German times was um, Marx Engelsplatz, S-Bahn Station. Yeah. And they gave us a support slot to quite an up-and-coming band. And then having secured that gig, I think other places thought, oh, there must be something important, which we weren't, and we managed to get other gigs. So, um, yeah, yeah we, we did it all up. 
Sorry, we did it all on the basis of one full day of uh, rehearsals. So you can imagine how disastrous it was at times. And, and are there any videos on YouTube of any of your gigs? There are, yes, but I don't think I'm going to advertise them because oh. they're terrible. Oh, <laughs> you've are, got so, okay, now, David. Some, <laughs> not the gigs. Okay, so the band is called The Candy Twins. Uh, that was the first band. That was the band that went on tour. Uh, yeah. But then it did transform into another band uh, called Tender Objects. And Tender Objects did actually get a, a single, a download single played by Steve Lamac uh, oh, okay. on Six Music. So you can you can find that one. It's called April Showers by Tender Objects. And that was played, I think, probably in about 2011 on the BBC. Wow. So you, you've got an alternative career there anyway, even, even uh, without no, writing books. No, no the, <laughs> the, the, the royalties from the music, I think, earned me, have earned me a total of $33 or something, which I've, I've got as a cheque, which I've never cashed. That's it. Oh, <laughs> oh. Well, anyway, back, back to the Karen Muller series. I'm really interested to know why you chose a, a female lead. I think it's brilliant because it, it really works well in terms of her interaction, you know, with her colleagues, it keeps it really, really interesting. But why did you go for a, a female lead? Well, it was, uh, I suppose, and I have admitted this before, it was a slightly cynical decision because I, I thought, you know, books like this set in, in Cold War times, I mean, it's not really a Cold War novel. It's a sort of Cold War era novel, I like to mm. say. Um, but I think they tend to to appeal more to a male audience. I'm sure some people would disagree, but I think they do. And yet the main readership for crime novels generally is a female audience. So I thought, well, why not try and, you know, draw in a female audience as well by having a main female character? And it does also reflect... Um, East German life, because women had a much greater role in the workplace in East Germany and indeed in the communist world, uh, full stop, than, you know, in the West at that time. Yeah. So more than 90% of women in East Germany, I think, I think that's approximately the figure, were in work. Right. Um, so I think there was more equality, um, but at the same time, um, you know, I think women often ended up doing the housework and uh, doing a job, you know, so yeah, both. Yeah. Her husband is um, a little bit of a dissident, a bit of a yeah. rebel. Yeah. And yes, something happens to him, but it's, yeah. not, uh, it's not absolutely clear what has happened. Because, yes, he sends, he apparently sends a letter from the West, but yeah. um, is it from him? Mm. <laughs> or is it the Stasi who have faked it? You know. Yeah. So there we are. Yeah. It's it's what I get. It's what I get emailed about most. Um, right. There's a particular uh, chapter in Stasi Child that people say, mm, "We don't quite understand what's happened there." And I, 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 when I reply, I, I tell them that you know that is by design it wasn't meant to, it's meant to be left slightly ambiguous right and and it does get explained um more in book three but probably not totally explained no no cliffhanger stuff yeah um, maybe <laughs> 
Um, now, the, the three main characters that I see in the books are obviously Karen and there's Verna, who is her deputy. Yep, Verna Tilsner, her deputy, exactly, yeah. And uh, Klaus Jaeger, who is this sort of like, well, he's a Stasi Oberleutnant tenor. Uh, Oberst, Oberstleutnant. Yes, yes, he starts off as a, an Oberstleutnant in uh, Stasi Char, but by, by the later books, um, yeah, he's proven print. Um, promoted to Oberst, which is colonel, yes. But he starts off as a lieutenant colonel in the Stasi, and he is, in effect, Muller's handler. And I think it becomes clear that he's chosen her because she is young and inexperienced, and he, he thinks she can be moulded, or the, the styri, Stasi hierarchy, or whichever part of it he works for, thinks she can be moulded to do what they want. But yes, those are the three main characters, and I suppose uh, a lot of the book is about the interplay between them, yes. Yeah. And how how did you find out how the East German police operated? How, how did you... Being, you know, being a journalist, you are used to doing research, um, and I'm forever uh, on the internet researching in inverted commas. Often that is, involves... Um, researching Hull City message boards because I'm a big Hull City fan, <laughs> uh, although my fandom has been sorely tested by our current set of owners, so I don't go as much as I used to. Um, but um, journalists are used to research, um, and uh, so my main areas of research, I guess, uh, I mean, one of the problems was when I started, I didn't speak German or, or nothing more than a very little bit of tourist German to order a beer or a hotel room. Um, so what I was doing was buying um, memoirs written in German, uh, for instance, by uh, inmates of Jugendwerkhofer, which were the severe reform schools. And then what I would do is... Um, tear out the pages, which people get very upset about, actually, when I tell them, uh, tear out the pages, feed them through my scanner, and turn them via optical character recognition into Microsoft Word documents in German. And then when I had the documents in German, I could then put uh, selected bits of these through Google Translate. And, you know, what came out at the end is gobbledygook in many ways, you know, it destroys the yeah. narrative, but you can find out enough of the information to get the facts. So that was one area of research. And then I did actually, in the early days, I got in touch with the Berlin police presidency uh, and they um, very kindly invited a, uh, a theme, former um, a former East German uh, policewoman in who now works for the uh, the police in the United Germany uh, to talk to me and also an expert on um, crime in East Berlin and then I also tracked down um, a couple of uh, if you like murder squad heads so uh, one of them um, was the head of the murder squad which cracked one of East Germany's most famous cases, um, the crossword puzzle murder, and I, I draw on some of that for my second book, St uh, Stasi Wolf. Uh, and the other one was uh, the head of a, a serious crime squad um, that was set up in the early 1980s. And to some extent, uh, Muller's uh, promotion in the beginning of a darker state to head up a, a special crime squad uh, reflects some of that.
so yeah they were they were very helpful um and uh yes yeah, still are yeah so i mean i'm intrigued as to how you you make it sound very easy to just sort of like get the uh the berlin police force to to find these people for well you. you see no no well they uh it's true most i mean most organizations especially police organizations i think it's true probably if you were writing a crime novel in britain that the police will have a, a press officer or you know a public mm -hmm. relations officer and they want the police to be seen in a good light generally so they will they will tend to cooperate um so yeah, no, they were very friendly. It was the PR PR officer, and he was um, offering to show me round uh, old people's police cells um, that were, you know, considered pretty much on a, on a par with the Stasi prisons. Um, I didn't take him up on it, or as as I've seen plenty of Stasi prisons off my own bat. But he did. He set up all these interviews, which was nice. Uh, and as you know, I spent a, a, an afternoon in the Berlin Police Presidency talking to these people with an interpreter. Yeah. Uh, but the but the the actual detectives. Um, true crime is quite popular in Germany, and so both of these detectives had written true crime books in German and so I tracked them down either through their publishers or their websites or uh, I think one of them was doing a, a talk at a library in Rostock so I got in touch with La Rostock Library and they managed to um, put me in touch with him. Oh, okay so. okay and the um, the real life crime that the that is sort of like the centerpiece of as Stasi Wolf, I found fascinating when I read the book. In fact, when I read the book, I hadn't realised it was a real. It was well, a real crime. It's, it's only no, I've only I've taken part of it. So that's um, I think some people I, I saw one review where uh, somebody thought it was all based on the crossword puzzle murder, which it isn't. I mean, the crossword puzzle murder was very specifically a boy of. of um, I think age seven or eight went missing on the way to the cinema in the early 1980s. Um, and um, his body was found dumped by a, a, a railway line about a week later in a suitcase. Um, and the reason it got its name, the crossword puzzle murder, was that the best bit of evidence was this partially completed crossword uh, that in a newspaper that was dumped along with the body. Uh, and the, the handwriting was um, fairly unusual and typical of uh, an older woman. That's what the handwriting experts um, thought. Um, and so in real life, uh, they, they set up what was um, and still is the biggest ever handwriting sampling exercise in the world. And they co collected with the help of the Stasi, which is what, what was interesting, they collected more than uh, half a million samples of handwriting uh, and did eventually crack the case. So I've, I've taken those elements and used them uh, as part of my own crime. So, yeah. yeah. So, no, it, 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 which, it which I try and explain in the author's notes, but I, I think some people will, uh, you know, basically all, all my novels. They, I draw on real stories, but they're not they're not fictionalizations of real stories. So it's not yeah. like Hilary Mantel, you know, has fictionalized the story of um, you know Henry VIII, uh, whatever she did. Anyhow, um, 
yes, but it's not like that. Right. I, I should obviously pay more attention to the author's notes. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, and those are the bits I enjoy writing most, actually, the author notes. Yeah. I like doing that. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Um, so when, when you were talking to these people who did work, used to work for the, um, the Volkspolit side, did, how, did you get any insight into how influential the Stasi were on some of these cases? Yes. And how that worked? The, I, I did. I mean, you know, there is, there is some artifice in my novels. Um, and I have, I suppose... You know, some East Germans, many East Germans, particularly those who fell foul of the regime, would say that the people's police were just as bad as the Stasi. You know, that they're one and the same thing, organs of the state. So I have created a little bit of artifice where I guess, you know, at times the people's police are considered better than the Stasi, uh, you might say. Um and I suppose some of that is based on the interviews with the detectives, these ex-detectives, because they all insist that basically their job was doing police work, just as it would be in the UK, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. If you dig a bit further, then... Yes, there was liaison with the Stasi, not necessarily on cases. So, again, there's a bit of artifice there uh, in in what I've done. But say that the guy who was the head of the the serious crime squad, I I think it was sort of serious crimes where the the culprit was unknown or they didn't have a a suspect. Um, He... um, he admitted to me that there was liaison at a high level with the Stasi and that a lot of his staff didn't know that. So uh, people under him didn't know that. So he was a, an Oberst Leutnant, uh, a Lieutenant Colonel. Mm-hmm. Um, but also in, in, you know, in virtually every uh, police station, there would have been at least one unofficial Stasi informer. Uh, and there may well have been an official one as well. So, um, yes. And then, you know, I, I, I found out tales about, you know, they would say um, that the Stasi didn't always um, uh, know everything. Um, one policeman told, told me of a, a colleague who'd managed to uh, conduct an affair with a a Stasi, a female Stasi officer, without the Stasi knowing for several weeks. So the Stasi didn't not always know everything. <laughs> no, no, which became apparent in 1989. <laughs> yes, but now, so. uh, and 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 your your stories are set in in 1970. So I guess that gives you a lot of scope to sort of like move them forward. Y- yes, I mean the the what I what I wanted to do was start at a period when. I suppose East Germany was, if not at its most powerful, but, you know, the, the, the rot hadn't fully set in, if you like. And I think in the early to mid-70s, you know, East Germany had started getting recognised internationally, blah, blah, blah. And also, I mean, the main thing for me was that I wanted um, to have enough room to continue the series, uh, you know, if if enough people bought the books. And so... That's what it depends on, really. The future of uh, any crime series depends on the public enjoying and buying the novels. Uh, And if they do in large enough numbers, you know, I'd carry on and on. But usually um, 
most crime series, the majority of crime series, tend to be three books maximum. So I, I think I've been lucky that uh, I'm contracted for five. So there's another two after this. Uh, and then we'll just have to see where it goes after that. Well, I'm very looking forward to, to the the other two. I've um, read Good. Um, read the the first three, and um, fantastic. They're, they're great. They're great. And and this sort of bring, brings me on to you know you you appear to capture very well the atmosphere of the GDR and what life was like there. Where how, how did you get that that sense and you know able to fill in that that level of detail? Well, I think it is. It's through research, so it's it's through looking at things on YouTube, reading books, or in my case, in inverted commas, reading books, um, touring round, you know, doing research trips, and just trying to imagine what it was like. Now, the reaction in Germany has been—I suppose you could say—it's been mixed. In that, you know, I've seen some. Uh, German readers of the English books, you know, one star it or whatever. Uh, but equally, um, I got uh, an unsolicited um, email from a German who now lives in South Africa, but had a lot. I don't think he was East German, but he had a lot. He he, he conducted a lot of business in East Germany um, at the time. Uh, and he said he couldn't believe Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week to be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War. As a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. Um, how well an English person who hadn't actually visited there had captured it. So that, I was very pleased to get that email because um, the series hasn't sold in Germany, which is um, always disappointing to me. Uh, you know, we've sort of encircled territories around Germany in that it's, it's sold to um, 11 territories internationally, uh, or at least Stasi Child did. But um, the German publishers consistently say, you know, why should we trust an English author writing about a difficult time in our history? Well, at least that email from this German um, sort of uh, gave the other point of view in that he, he did fully trust it. So that was very gladdening to get that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So how, how do you choose your locations? I mean, I guess with Stasi Wolf, because the crossword... Uh, puzzle killer was set in Halle Neustadt. That that's why you you went well for that. Actually, location. it wasn't. It wasn't. It was, no, it, it was it was um, the other way about. That I I um, I was doing checking research from for Stasi Child, and um, so part of Stasi Child is set in um, 
the Hartz Mountains and on the Brocken. And also part of it is set in a, a Jugendwerkhof. And the Jugendwerkhof that I modelled uh, my fictional Jugendwerkhof on, uh, the Reform School, was modelled on this one at Torgau, which is northeast, I think, of Leipzig. It's on the Elbe, and it's where the American army met the Russians in, in 1945. Um, and that was um, a closed, um, closed Jugendwerkhof, closed in the sense it was like a prison. And it was considered particularly um, severe. Uh, lots of sexual um, abuse, physical abuse, um, anyway, I wanted to go and see that. So, and then the routes from there to the Hartz Mountains took me very near Halle. So I knew about Halle Neustadt being a, um, uh, a new town and I just decided to, to drive through it. And then as soon as I was there, as soon as I was driving through it, I thought, oh my God, what a fantastic setting for a novel because, um, in East German times, um, uh, only four streets had names. I, I've um, taken that down even further to just one. So only in, in my novel, only one street, the main street, the Magistral has a name. And every other street was basically uh, designated by numbers. So people's addresses were just numbers to um, represent their, their housing estates their apartment, their block and their apartment on floor. So I just thought it was a bizarre um, and fantastic setting. And then, I, having set, decided to do that, then uh, obviously I was researching Hannah Neustadt and then I discovered about the, um, the, the crossword puzzle murder. So it was right. back to front, really. You know, so in other... So I do these... I will go and research possible areas... Um, so that's what I did for Stasi Child. I did that. And then Rugen, Rugen was featured in Stasi Child because um, my, somebody at the BBC uh, knew an East German who worked, or former East German, who now worked in uh, the BBC World Service, uh, Oliver Burlau. Uh, and uh, Oliver very kindly reads um, each novel before uh, they go to press uh, and picks me up on on errors you know serious errors he sometimes lets some things go through um, <laughs> but oliver came from uh, celine he lived in celine on rugen and so uh, you know he told me some stories about his childhood etc uh, etc et and so i decided to visit celine uh, and then you know uh, i was impressed enough that i decided to i suppose steal some of oliver's stories but you know he knew i was doing it but i, I decided to set a chunk of the novel in celine uh, and then the Hearts Mountains in um, in Stars of Child again that that dates back to um, the indie pop band tour, the Candy Twins tour, because one of the places that booked us was a little uh, pension in the Hearts Mountains, actually just on the the western side of the old uh, border, state border, because the Hearts were were split virtually right down the middle by the inner German border between mm. East Germany and the, and the Federal Republic. Uh, and this little pension booked us, and we played in a blizzard to about about a dozen people. So I've still got a picture of that, but that's that was uh, where the inspiration from that came from. And then a darker state, um, I suppose it got a bit. Uh, 
got a bit of, of a fetish for East German Newtown. So having um, seen Hannah Neustadt, I wanted to see some of the others. So I, I uh, visited Eisenhüttenstadt, which is was the original East German Newtown, the first one built in the 50s, originally called Stalinstadt, until he, um, he fell out of favour. Uh, and Eisenhüttenstadt means ironwork city, and it's just all about the steelworks which sounds sounds very picturesque work street yeah not really but actually it is it is the prettiest of the, the new towns i i would say it looks a bit like cheltenham but maybe that's stretching a point but that was yeah so uh, i i liked it and decided to set uh, a darker state or parts of a darker state there so that's that's sort of how i come up with the ideas for the settings for so book four is more the sort of first person i always tend to have a first person story the second narrative if you like intermingled uh in amongst karen muller's uh investigation which is third person past and the the first person story in book four will be through the eyes of a um an inmate at the middle baldora um labor camp uh which is where the 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 camp workers from the camp slave laborers from the camp worked in the Mittelwerk underground factory where the Nazis built V1 and V2 rockets after the Allies bombed uh, Pinamunda on the Baltic coast. So that's it's more tied, if you like that that first person story is virtually all um, true, if you like. It, it's a fictionalized truth, mm. uh, and then I. Um, extrapolating into the 70s in east germany and there is a a crime linked to this this past truth from uh, world war ii so that so the locations for that are sort of predetermined by um to some extent by the story yeah and have you got five planned or yes i've started um some initial research for five because book four is um at the rewrite stage, I hate doing rewrites, but I've got a rewrite to do by the end of this month, which I should have been doing today, but I was listening to the cup semi-final instead. Um, and um, uh, yes, yeah, so book five uh, is going to be um, set in the um, what was co- called the catastrophe winter in East Germany, which was the winter of 1978-79, when there was, and I'm going back to Rube, and in, in a sense, it's going to be Starsky Child Part Two. It's actually going to continue uh, Irma Berendt's uh, story, mm-hmm. but um, it, it's going to be during this winter. Um, and I'm also using some elements. The, the thing about the winter of seventy-eight, seventy-nine was huge snowdrifts. Um, Rügen was actually cut off from the rest of East Germany you know, with, with drifts metres high uh, and they were having to do airlifts of food, etc., etc. But I'm also going to use some elements from uh, the winter of 62-63 and time shift some of those uh, because at that time um, the Baltic was virtually entirely frozen over. So you can imagine um, that that gives a few possibilities for uh, plots, which is what I'm going to use. Okay, well, I'll leave the uh, listeners intrigued to uh, follow 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 those through. Um, uh, do you have any GDR or Cold War items that you've collected in the course of your research? Well, I suppose 
I mean, the main thing is, which I mentioned earlier, is yeah. my car, um, which is a, um, it's allegedly a 1972 uh, Wartburg. Um, uh, it definitely is a Wartburg. Uh, there's some doubt over what year it is, actually. It might be a, a, a later, slightly later model made to look like an earlier model. Um, but um, Wartburg were used by the um, people's police and the police both as squad cars but particularly by um, the criminal police would use unmarked Wartburgs and um, uh, your listener might be aware of um, the East the main East German crime series I suppose it would have been the equivalent of Z cars or whatever uh, Polizeiruf 110 which uh, that's that refers to the uh, it, it's the German version of dialing 999 is 110. And so um, even in that, uh, you can see in some of the episodes, the um, Oberleutnant in charge of the murder squad, he, he drives a, a white or off-white Wartburg estate. And I just happened to see on eBay one day, this off-white Wartburg estate being sold by some guy up in Falkirk. And in a mad moment, I decided to buy it. And um, so one day saw me um, early in the morning catching a flight from Luton Airport up to Edinburgh Airport. And this guy, Chris, came to meet me at Edinburgh Airport in this Wartburg car. So I thought, well, if he's meeting me in the car, it must be must be okay so when we went back to his house i did the deal for i think um 1600 or 1700 pounds mm-hmm. um and uh did all the paperwork or whatever you have to do um and then i set off and um i had to drive it back to um where i live uh, near london which was quite a mad thing to do in the same day um as it's more than 400 miles i think and as soon as I'd left his house, the car just felt as, as though it was going to stop dead, you know. Oh. And I, I turned onto the motorway and it was spluttering and spluttering. I thought it's just going to grind to a halt and I've made a terrible mistake. But slowly and slowly it seemed to clear and get better. I just sort of started pumping the throttle gradually. And eventually I got it up to... 70 miles an hour or so and we sailed back to London and I did it all in I think just over eight hours with um, two or three breaks to refill uh, the two-stroke petrol mixture Um, so there we are and and then I decided to uh, convert it into a a police squad car so um, my brother-in-law who is um, a metal worker um, he, he built me they, they have these sort of gantries on which the blue lights and and uh, loudspeakers sat so I, I he made me the gantry um, and then I located on eBay um, some original uh, East German rotating blue lights got an electrician to fit them uh, found the correct siren sound and um, found a got an electrician to fit a, a small amp and then what I do is I, I play the siren sound from my iPhone so high tech oh. um, uh, through through the loudspeakers so I can have uh, the right siren sound and the flashing lights which of course is totally illegal on UK roads so I only ever do it uh, off road 
Um, so there we are. That's my main bit of uh, East German uh, um, museum, my main museum piece. Wow. Wow. And I, I've, <laughs> seen, I've seen this in the flesh as well. I was lucky to uh, see David at one of his um, book signings. And um, it's, it's an impressive vehicle. He has to cover up the lights with uh, carrier bags when he's... Uh... Yes, I've got, I've got one Asto bag and one co-op bag. So uh, <sighs> on the, there we are. In the course of your research, what was the most surprising thing that you discovered, do you think? Ooh. Well, I suppose that a thing that really resonated with me, I was, I was for a darker state, I was, um, uh, part of it I decided to set in Bautzen 5, Bautzen 2, which um, Bautzen is a lovely sort of medieval town in... Is it in the upper, upper Lausitz? I'm not sure. But um, it's, it's about level uh, with Dresden, if you like, and a bit further east uh, in layman's terms. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's a very pretty town, but it was also uh, with all these um, uh, medieval or, or anyway, historic monuments and towers. But um, it was also the site for the worst Stasi prison. Bautzen was regarded as the worst, the most severe Stasi prison. So I decided I ought to go and have a look round, which I did. Um, And when I was having a look round, I saw this guy sort of, you know, not just looking round, but actually um, lying down on the cell beds, you know, almost trying them for size. Mm. And so I, in, well, in my pigeon German, I tried to ask him what he was doing. And it turned out that he had been a prisoner in 1970, I think it was. And this was his first visit since then. So quite, uh, you know, things like that. It's quite an emotion. It really brings it home, you know, that the real stories behind it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose in, in terms of other research, well, the, the, the story that um, I've extrapolated, the true story or the true scientific research that sparked the idea for a darker state, um, which I've extrapolated into a fictional story, <clears throat> but based on that research, uh, that really shocked me because, um, you know, we know it's, it's well known about um, the medical experiments on athletes and the fact that um you know a a lot of um east german athletes uh, particularly female athletes you know through the use of steroids basically their sexuality was changed wasn't Mm -hmm. it um and um but i found this research um which some east germans said well we've never heard of that I, i don't think that's true um but there was actually uh I, it was based on a, a book um, written uh, by an eminent endocrinology um, professor. Um, and so that was probably the most surprising thing. I, it, it was all about experiments on rats to, if you like, completely change someone's personality uh, and sexuality. And I better not give more away than that. <clears throat> but after researching it and um, writing the draft, uh, 
what I realized to my horror was that the guy who wrote this um, scientific book was still alive. <laughs> and I just assumed he was dead and therefore there was no risk of libel, but he was still yeah. alive. So, wow. so I had to take legal advice. And I mean, mine is, <clears throat> mine is very much a fictionalized story uh, extending that, you know, a rogue scientist extends that research um, yeah. in, in a fictional way. Uh, but yes. And there that's why, that and that's why they always have that thing at the front of a book saying, you know. Yes, any, all the disclaimers. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, now, with the, the Karen Muller series, I mean, I think it would make great TV. Um, and, I mean, when, when you're writing these books, do you have a, people in mind or do you have a visual image of the, of the characters? Um, I don't, and I didn't, I, I absolutely don't really write it with TV or film in mind, mm. but I suppose I'm not the biggest reader in the world really. And, um, you know, we were talking about crime fiction. I'm not, you know, I, I sometimes feel quite awkward at these crime fiction events because I won't have necessarily read uh, all the authors that people are talking about. Uh, I mean, I do like crime fiction, but but I do very much like uh, watching um, crime thriller series on on television, particularly some of the, the Scandi crime stuff. Although yeah. my favourite is um, Engrenage, Spiral, the French crime series, which I think yeah. is fantastic. Um, so maybe, I think, probably just through osmosis, um, some of that then probably translates uh, in, into the page, the written page. Um, now, they, the novels were under option to Euston Films, um, who uh, did Minder and the Sweeney. So I was mm -hmm. getting all very excited about that because Euston Films were, um, were recently revived uh, by Fremantle TV. But, you know, the, the, the fact is that loads of novels are optioned and probably one in 30 of novels that are optioned actually then get seen on either the big screen or the small screen. Yeah. Uh, and the, the company were, their approach was um, to try and do it a bit like an English Valander, so with English actors, which... I, to be honest, I was always slightly dubious about, and uh, it hasn't come off. So I think, you know, I think it would make excellent television. I think Stars of the Child itself or any one of the three would make a very good film. Mm. Um, but I suspect it needs to be made in Germany. You know, for authenticity's sake, I think it needs to be in, made in Germany with German actors and then to have subtitles. Yeah. Um, and so it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation in that probably I need to be published in Germany. If I could get a German production company or film company interested, then probably that would lead to um, uh, being published in Germany. So, yeah. But yeah. at the moment, it's just yeah. not come together. So if, if you had an infinite budget, who would, have you, who would you cast as Karen Muller? Well, um... I always changed my mind on this. Um, I know that the TV company was thinking of somebody from Game of, Game of Thrones, but I don't watch Game of Thrones, so they, they threw out this name and uh, it didn't mean anything to me. Um, 
there's an actress um, whose name escapes me, although it's double-barreled, and she was born in Beverly, who um, who is in a lot of period drama. I think Anna Maxwell, something or other. I thought she would be quite good, but she's probably you know Karen is younger than her, so maybe not. So I don't I don't have a choice really. Um, no. Okay. Uh, I don't. Sorry. No, 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 that's I fine. Have, I no, should have prepared fine. better for that one. I'm just intrigued because obviously, you know, whenever people read a book, they they tend to have Literally, an image of the, of, yeah. of the person. And it, I think the, th- the thing is that, that if you do sell your novels, unless you are a real big hitter, an Ian Rankin or a Val McDermott or somebody even bigger, um, then you lose control you hmm. you don't have any control you know they'll say you're you're a consultant producer or yeah. whatever but it'll be the the it'll be whatever the tv company's vision is that gets on screen um so on that basis i haven't tried yeah. to look too far ahead if it happens it happens and if it doesn't yeah. it doesn't yeah yeah so, but i but i've got a yeah, mortgage yeah. to pay off so it would be very nice if it did happen no ab- absolutely so um, if you were making a film about the Cold War, not necessarily Stasi Child, is there a particular piece of music that you think sort of like w- would would resonate with that? I guess, you know, you're... Well, yeah. Yes, I mean, music, I you know, I'm very into my music. Um, and of course, you know, I'd love my own music to get on there because uh, I could make even more money that way, couldn't I? <laughs> but, um, but no, I... I, I um, I was a big fan of uh, the Welsh 1970s, late 60s, early 70s rock group Man. Don't know if you've ever heard of Man. You're probably too young. Ian. Oh, I haven't. But heard uh, of them. no, you haven't heard of Man. Well, Man. I think Man's um, highest chart position was probably about number 23 for one of their albums. But there's um, there's an album they had out called Slow Motion from about. I think 1975 and man were very big in Germany, although I think mainly in West Germany, but slow motion's got a very filmic, it almost sounds like a, a film soundtrack. Uh, right. You know, I, I used to listen to it a load at school. Um, it's, it's got a, a very iconic cover, which um, uh, I don't know if you, do you know the, the American magazine mad? Um, yes. Which yep. and the, all that artwork. Well, it was it was done by the same artist based on that, and it's that character from Mad putting his hand in a fish or something like that. Anyway, there we are. Slow motion by Mad. Right. Well, I'll soundtrack. see if I can if, see if I can find a but, link. But to unfortunately, that. they wouldn't be able to ever play it live because the the main the main people from Man have sadly recently died. Are there any? books in english that you'd particularly recommend for anyone interested in the gdr apart from obviously the karen muller series yeah no that i mean there are a lot of um very good non-fiction books but the thing the one that absolutely blew me away recently um was and they sent me a review copy even though it's worth you know you have to pay a hundred pounds it's one of these fancy coffee table books yeah um uh, is there's a, there's a museum in Los Angeles called the Vendor. You know, the Vendor was um, uh, the the change. So yeah. when the wall falls. So the Vendor Museum in Los Angeles yeah. um, has a huge 
collection of, of East German stuff. So it, weirdly, there is this um, East German museum in the United States, which I'd love to um, visit sometime. Anyway, they produced basically a, um, it's, all, it's more like a, uh, a briefcase, if you like, but it is a book of all their collections. So this this fantastic thing in full colour, which basically tells the story of East Germany through artefacts, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, I don't know, the different soap powders, the different chocolates, the different um, uh, liquors, all, yeah. all that sort of thing. Um, and the cars, of course. And it comes in a beautiful box set, but also the full version has um, has uh, an interest, very interesting reproduction of a German pension, East German pensioners travel scrapbook. So mm. that, you know, that gives a fantastic window into East Germany. And they're obviously a hundred pounds. It's probably out of most people's reach, but mm. they've done a, a cut down version of it, which I think is called something like the East German handbook, yeah, which, had... which, which, which retails at 30 pounds or something like right. that. So yeah. that would be my absolute, um, recommendation in non-fiction terms in fiction terms um i particularly loved um my guest tutor at um city university i chose this author who's probably not that well known although he he i think sold millions as a joint author of some thriller series but it wouldn't have been under his name but under his own name philip sington he wrote uh, a novel probably about five years ago now, called The Valley of Unknowing. Um, and it's set near Dresden, because I think that's where his... Actually, his wife was from Halle Neustadt. So, but anyway, he had some sort of link to Dresden. Um, you know, he's British. Uh, and The Valley of Unknowing was uh, refers to... Dresden was low-lying land, and it was one of the few areas in East Germany that couldn't receive West... Um, uh, German TV signals, and that hence the Valley of Unknowing. Right. Um, and it's it's a very it's a very good book. It's um, it's basically about this operator, this chancer who passes somewhat. I, I think he was a novelist. Yes, he was a novelist who'd written some book, uh, ba- probably based on Helen Neustadt. It was something something of Neustadt, mm-hmm. and that has been a big big seller, fictional thing, but a big seller in. Uh, in East Germany, uh, but then he hit writer's block, and then he passes off somebody else's book as his own. So uh, it's, it's it's quite funny and, and uh, excellent, excellent. Right. Book. Well, so those those a couple of recommendations. No, those, those are great recommendations, and I think one one of our guests um, has mentioned DDR handbook actually in a, in a previous episode. So it's good to hear another recommend for that i might need to extend he, the mortgage he, though it sounds he, like yes yes no but he he might have um been sent a free copy as well you see so he's trying to pay them back but you could you could always you know running cold war podcast you could ask to review it i could i could that's an angle well, thank whether you, you thank get you away with it yeah well hey nothing ventured nothing gained yeah. um yeah. Is is there any uh film or tv series that you'd recommend that you think is a good uh, factual fictional representation of the GDP. Oh, okay. Yes. So I, I'm very surprised why this series hasn't 
been taken up by the BBC for BBC Four, or indeed, uh, even more surprised why it's not on um, Valter Presents uh, for um, uh, all four. Yeah, maybe it's some sort of rights reason, but the series is Weissense, um and it was uh, it's had three. I think it's finished now, but there was three series, um, and unfortunately, only the second series on DVD has English subtitles. Don't ask me why. There are complicated ways of trying to generate English subtitles for the others. I mm. think through Google Translate, so you get a load of rubbish. But basically, why it's interesting is I think it was the first attempt at a a, a more sympathetic look at the Stasi because it's it's you know the main family in it are if you like a Stasi family um so uh the the father is some high up you know colonel or possibly even higher mm-hmm. uh, and then one of the sons is a, a nasty piece of work but up and coming in the Stasi and then the other son is a bit is much more conflicted and he's a uh he works for the people's police as a regular volkspolizist um so that's very interesting it's really you know uh probably you would need some german but you know you can understand it in any case even if you german's not that good and that is a fantastic series and actually i on one of my research trips recently um you know i liked it so much i i sought out the the house which was the fictionalized um hat their their house near what was supposed to be weissensee which was an area is an area of Berlin and yeah. was an area of East Berlin, but in fact it was based on a house uh, in you know they filmed it on a house that was actually in in West Berlin, right at the time. Okay, well that that's a so that would be that would be that would be a, a recommendation. Then in terms of films, obviously there's the Lives of Others and Barbara, um, and Goodbye Lenin is is great fun. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. There, there's quite a few. Yeah, and Barbara is is that the one where the uh, the woman goes over or um gets into the west and it's um no i think that's west which that's west right that's west which again is is was interesting because i think she had she went into a a, in effect a refugee center didn't she and it wasn't all as straightforward as as she thought which was a bit of an echo of what happens in stasi child no barbara is what is she it's 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 a long time since I've watched it. I think I think she works possibly as a nurse or something. There's some sort of hospital link, but uh, it's the same sort of yeah. feel as the lives of others, but uh, just a different a different take. Okay. It. Well, no, that's great. Well, uh, make sure we've got some links to um, the, those recommendations. Now, David, where, where's the best place for people to find you online? Um, well, I've got a, uh, a website and it's it's named after Stasi Child so it's uh, www.stasichild.com uh, you yep. can find me there you can find me on Twitter I'm uh, DJY which is my initials David Young uh, David Jordan uh, underline uh, writer DJY underline writer on t- Twitter and on Facebook what am I on Facebook I might be Stasi Child Facebook dot com slash stasi child 
Okay, well, David, I'll, I'll, David I'll, Young, crime writer. I'm, I'm there anyhow on, okay. on Facebook. Well, I'll find those... I don't do as much on Facebook, to be honest. No. I, I find it all a bit... I think I'm going to take the Weatherspoons approach and give up all social media. <laughs> <laughs> My publishers well, wouldn't be Well, don't give up Twitter. I enjoy <laughs> following you on, on, on <laughs> David. Um, but I'll, I'll provide links to all of those um, on the um, show notes. Da- David, it's been a real pleasure... Oh no! Thank you very much, Ian. I, I enjoyed doing it. You know, some of those stories I've told before, but you know, they, I think some of them I haven't. So well, you're good. telling them to a new audience, Dave. Yes, yes, so, yes. You know, you know, it's nice doing it from a you know sort of radio point of view, if you like. I hope you enjoyed our interview with David. If you'd like to understand more about the subjects, the books, and the films we discussed. There's links in the show notes at coldwarconversations.com slash the word episode and the number seven. Don't forget you can join our discussion group on Facebook. Just search for Cold War Conversations. And we're also on Twitter at at Cold War Pod. If you like what you're hearing, please leave reviews on iTunes or with your podcast provider. Not enjoying the ads? Well, you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. By becoming a monthly or annual supporter, you'll enjoy ad-free listening, become a part of our community, receive the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster, and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information.